Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have awesome news for you. Our friends at Bet Online. Hey, it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information. From live in-game betting, props, and futures, head on over to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B-L-E-A-V-50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline, where the game starts. Celebrate your whale of a dad with a fudgy the whale ice cream cake from the locally owned and operated Carvel of North Syracuse. Everything at Carvel of North Syracuse is made fresh, so no matter what kind of treat or design your dad wants, they make it happen. Your dad deserves a tasty treat this Father's Day. Soft serve ice cream, milkshake sundaes, shakes, and more. America's favorite since 1934. Carvel. Open seven days a week. Brewerton Road in North Syracuse. Stop in today. Fudgy the whale is is waiting for you. Hi, this is Jay Billis of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter is back with you all over the major platforms. Download, subscribe, rate, and review where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. We are brought to you by Burn Dairy, Welch and Company Jewelers. Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State and our terrific, terrific friends over at the Vince Aguera Consulting Group. Become a better leader both personally and professionally today. Sign up for the one of the many classes at the Vince Aguera Consulting Group and my guy Scott and his team can help you uh, really succeed uh, as a leader both personally and professionally. VCGtransforms.com is a website. The Vince Aguera Consulting Group is a proud ML Sports Platter. Sponsor. Well, my next guest, I had an opportunity to sit at a wedding table with uh, celebrating my really, really good friend, Bill Hoppy from St. Bonaventure um, and his wedding in Niagara Falls, which was just spectacular. And uh, as he started to talk about who he was and sending a blog to Bill about 10, 15 years ago, I started to say, I think I know this guy. He's Sal Barry of Puck Junk. And when I tell you that he wears many hats, he wears many hats, man. He's the editor of PuckJunk.com. He's a host of the Puck puck junk podcast he's a contributor at the hockey news he's a professor in the chicago area at depaul and uh, you can go get his work at puckjunk.com. that's puckjunk.com, and follow him on twitter at puck junk sal j berry my guy how are you man i'm um, fine thanks uh, just recovering from a long weekend spent in uh, niagara falls yeah, no doubt about it. So you you obviously wear a ton of hats. I mean, you're a professor, you're an editor of PuckJunk.com, you, you're a podcast host, you contribute to the hockey news, you're a card expert, sports card expert. What do you enjoy doing the most? Uh, I definitely, I think I enjoy collecting hockey cards the most because that's the least pressure. Unfortunately, there's no money in being a collector, so you have to do other stuff, but you know, just puttering around with your collection is definitely the most enjoyable thing. I think that's why it's a pastime, right? Yes, absolutely. And and your background for my listeners, you know, get into that a little bit. You know, where'd you grow up? When did you first start getting into cards and hockey and everything in between? So it's kind of funny being from Chicago because our team is the Blackhawks. Our NHL team is the Blackhawks. But 
uh, I like to refer to them as the blackouts because they blacked out all their home games in the 70s and 80s. So uh, and and 90s and up until about 2007. So it was very tough being a hockey fan for me because I didn't really discover hockey until I was 14 and I got cable television. So, you know, as a kid, you do what other kids do. I remember all the boys collecting baseball cards in 85 because the Cubs had that great run in 1984. So 1985, everybody wanted to collect baseball cards, and I did too. And that was my introduction to sports cards and sports card collecting, although back then you weren't really collecting. You were just kind of buying them, looking at the pictures. And, you know, that was the first time I kind of really became aware of sports, other than it was just this thing. You know, I I would see the games on TV and stuff like that. So next year, oh, go ahead. No, no, you you, you go. I was just going to add one one thing to that too, is that with, with the sports card, industry going way up and then way down and now we're back up again you know as you're collecting has it enhanced here recently because of the you know the the recent surge of it but but answer that after you get done with the the previous question um you know and then in 86 i got into football cards because you had the 85 bears and he went on that super bowl run Mm -hmm. so then in 86 everybody wanted to collect football cards and then i kind of was like back and forth with baseball and football until we got cable in 89 I discovered hockey while channel surfing and got like way into it. I mean, that was my sport at that point. And then at that point when I was collecting hockey cards, I was actually like seriously collecting hockey cards, like buying sets, like complete sets from mail order catalogs because this was pre eBay and putting them in pages and just having an awareness of just like that, you know, I might not have seen these players from 20 or 30 years ago, but I wanted to have their cards because I had that appreciation for it. So Really, it was hockey that kind of made the whole card collecting thing click for me. Now, as for your question of um, if the explosion in the interest in sports card collecting has made collecting better for me, I would say probably not because the problem is is that it draws a lot of attention and then that drives up the price because then all of a sudden you're competing with other people for the same things that you want it's Hmm. it's a fine line with collecting you want things to be popular enough that they continue to make product but you don't well and but if it gets too popular then you're competing with people who are just thinking oh i'm going to invest in these cards and then that drives up the price and makes it harder puckjunk.com is where you can go to check out his work it's sal barry of course a podcast host and editor he contributes at the hockey news and a uh, sports card expert uh, as well. Wanted to uh, cover all those things with him here on the ML Sports Platter, brought to you by Stanley Law Offices and Burn Dairy. Sal, um, I happen to think, and I mentioned this to to everybody uh, in, in the hockey space, it doesn't matter who it is. I've had on Paul Bissonnette, Liam McHugh, many people, and I, I bring it up. I don't think that hockey has ever been better, uh, not just for the history, but also for my lifetime, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, skilled, the youth, uh, the quality of the teams. Uh, it, it's remarkable, right? Do, do you feel, and that's, you know, coming from a guy who was 42 years old, you know, I lived through Gretzky and Lemieux and Messier and Iserman and Brett Hall and everything in between, right? And all the goaltending with Wah and Brodeur and Hashik. But I think the game's the best right now because of the combination of those things that I mentioned, the speed, uh, the skill, the size, the youth of the players, do you feel that way? Absolutely. I mean, the game is different than it was 30 years ago. Let's let's admit that part. But uh, it is definitely better now because of the speed and the skill. The NHL is really enhancing that. I mean, 
in the 80s and 90s, you could get away with clutching, grabbing, hooking, slowing your opposition down. There was, um, you know, there was even like, I remember when I spoke with Dale Howarchuk for an article that I wrote, and he talked about a partial hook that he got away with in the 87 Canada Cup, uh, the, the third game of the finals. And he said, you could press your stick against the player's shin guards and you could get away with it for about a stride, a stride and a half. But then anything after that, the referee would call for hooking. So, I mean, even back then they had an awareness of this is what I could get away with. This is how much I could slow down an opponent. And now, uh, you know, the NHL cracked down on that right after the 0506 lockout, but then it kind of got, they kind of, the referees got a little lax on that, but then they're, they're kind of doubling down on that again. And yeah, I mean, it is, you know, it, that does emphasize the speed then because you can have um, players, you know, actually <laughs> reach their top speeds. And then also, um, you know, uh, it, it's a younger league now. Uh, you got a lot of young superstars coming in and you got a lot of players from Europe. Um, I mean, I know that's been the norm really since the nineties, but I mean, all of these things have, have added to the, uh, to the quality of the game. So going back to sports cards for a minute, give me some of your favorite sports cards that you've collected, whether you still have them or not. Some of the ones that have been out there that are your favorite, some that come to mind for me when I was a kid, you know, was the Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck card. Uh, I don't know why, but I loved 87 tops, um, you know, and, and, and really a host of others. And I kind of went across the board with sports, but mostly it was baseball. My dad gave me a bunch of his cards from the 50s. I'm looking at a few of them now from 58. Uh, I've got an Aaron, a Maze, a Mantle All-Star. Um, so how about you, though? Favorite cards through the years, Sal? Okay. Uh, well, when I got into hockey, it turned out that both my mother and my aunt were hockey fans in the 60s and 70s. And my mother actually had some hockey mementos. She had a, a, a Blackhawk scrapbook that she put together, and she also had a Guy Lafleur scrapbook because that was her favorite player. Hmm. And one of the things she gave me, it was a, a postcard autographed by Guy Lafleur. Wow. And that became probably the first autograph in my collection because she wrote to him in the early 70s. Um, and I think she had a thing for French dudes because she also had a uh, Rene Robert autographed postcard. But she told me that Guy was her favorite and he autographed this postcard for her and he wrote a little note on the back of the postcard and he hand addressed the envelope and you know she gave me that so that's probably one of my favorites because it's my first autographed card that I owned it was a postcard but still it's an autograph of you know a, a, a legend uh my grandmother got me a Ken Dryden rookie card a 7172 tops Ken Dryden rookie card in uh, I think for Christmas of 93 I was actually putting together a 7172 set and so that card is special to me because she gave it to me. Um, you know, and I, I think I've since had like three or four Ken Dryden rookie cards, but you know, that one's always special because it was a gift from, from my grandmother. Uh, you know, as far as baseball goes, I'd love the 85 tops baseball set because, um, uh, it just, that's the, when I started collecting baseball cards and, you know, I don't know anything about this player. I just re I could still picture the card though. The 1985, Mark Langston, he was a pitcher for the Mariners. And that is just such a perfect photograph. He's winding up about to pitch the ball. And like, to me, that's a baseball card. That is just like a picture perfect photograph of, of a pitcher about, about to unleash a pitch. Uh, that's a favorite card of mine. I mean, I have an 85 tops baseball set somewhere. <laughs> it's in the <laughs> closet somewhere because I don't have enough shelf space to put everything out on, 
on my shelves. I'm actually one of these types who puts their cards in the pages and uh, puts them on shelves and they're all organized by year, kind of like a library. Um, so those are just some of the cards that that come to mind. I mean, I could go on, on and on. I mean, I whenever I see a Jeremy Roenick rookie card, I buy it, even though I don't need it because he's one of my favorite players. And I will say this, when I was in Niagara Falls, I stopped at a card shop called Niagara Falls Sports Cards and I bought a Gretzky rookie from them. And that might be my really? new favorite hockey card now because oh. I own a Gretzky rookie. And that's that's a pretty big deal, even if it's not in the best shape. I mean, it's it's kind of like the Mickey Mantle of hockey a little bit, like just having a Gretzky rookie card. It's iconic. You could tell what it is, even if you don't collect hockey, you would know a Gretzky rookie from, you know, 100 feet away. And that's the Opeachy? It's the top The top one? Okay. I, Okay, funny story. I bought an Opeachy Gretzky rookie in 92. I was 17. Turns out, years later, I figured out it was counterfeit. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I had an Opeachy rookie card, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did for, for, you know, two decades or maybe a decade and a half. I thought I had the real deal. And then when I took it out of the really nice holder that it was in to put it in a different holder, like right away I could tell. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, what what do you think the sport, where are we heading with the sports card industry? What's the future look like? It's going to dip a little bit because I think people are, you had a lot of the investors in 2020. You had a lot of the people, the flippers as they call themselves, or sometimes we disparagingly call them. You had people go into Target or Walmart, buy up all the sealed product they could, and then sell it for two, three, four, five times what they paid for it, that's starting to slow down because the card companies are now meeting the demand. So when you walk into a card shop and you see one box, excuse me, when you walk into a Target or Walmart store and you see a box of basketball cards, you buy it and you sell it, right? And you make a profit. But when they put 20 boxes up there, it's almost like the supply is now exceeding the demand a little bit. So that's going to kind of quell that little part of the, um, the boom where you had people flipping things. Um, but the good news is, is that whenever something grows like a hobby, it's going to retain people. There's going to be people who never got into it. They might've gotten into it because of the money. They might've gotten into it because there was a lot of sports on in summer of 2020 and there was nothing else to watch because you had all of a sudden you had baseball games and hockey games and basketball games around the clock and there was no new TV dramas on. So people were drawn to the sports and they got into it and they said, oh my God, there's cards for this. I like this. I want to, you know, sports card collecting is kind of like a way to participate in the sport that you enjoy watching. Okay. So one thing, and you explained this to me at the wedding, but I still, I still am really cloudy on this topic. The grading process, uh, how has it impacted sports cards? Do you get your cards graded? How does it work? Take it wherever you want. The grading that we now see, which also probably contributed a little bit to the growth and the, you know, kind of the renaissance of cards here the last few years. So grading has almost become a victim of its own success, but then it's also successful because of its, its, uh, its, its success. I know that that's kind of redundant, but let me explain. So I remember card shows. I, I've been pretty much a regular going to card shows since 2006 to uh well till now but 
Um, I remember the grading companies, they'd be at the shows, they'd be at the bigger shows, and they'd be like, oh, you can get your cards graded for as low as 10 bucks a card, right? Hmm. And very few people would be doing it because there was no point. It's like, if I have this Sidney Crosby rookie card, I know it's authentic. I don't need to get it graded because I don't care. You know what I mean? I just, it's almost like you're spending money so that a third party is saying this card is in mint condition or this card is in near mint condition or this card is in excellent condition or whatever. What I do like about the grading companies is that they will authenticate a card. And I think that's important, especially with older cards, um, to know that it's an authentic card and not like a, a, a very good counterfeit. And, you know, the newer cards are more difficult to counterfeit, especially like upper deck, because they put that little hologram on the back of their many of their cards or most of their cards. The older cards, which were printed on like really plain cardboard, a little easier to fake, especially with more modern printing techniques. So I do like the authenticity. The problem with grading is that I might have a I might have a Gretzky rookie and I might look at it and say this card is mint. You might look at it and say this card is mint. And then I send it to uh PSA, and then they say, oh, it's an X-Mint condition, which means it's a few steps down from mint condition, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's it'll still sell for a lot of money because it's a graded Gretzky rookie, but when you get to some lower-end cards, it almost seems unnecessary. Like, I was buying Michael Jordan cards that were graded at, like, a 6 or 7, which might have been, like, X-Mint, and I was getting them for, like, 10 bucks a piece, and at that point, it's almost like firing a blank. You submit this card, you hope it gets a grade of like a nine or a 10, and then you can sell it for thousands of dollars. But if you can't, then you're selling it for like $20, $30. And that's less than what it costs you to get it graded. Okay, puckjunk.com. Tell people about it. What should they be looking for? When was it launched? Get into that that platform. So Puck Junk is my hockey website. I originally launched it because when I quit my full-time job and went back to grad school and was just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, I was like, you know, I always wanted to write. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to do more writing. So I launched my site to write about hockey cards in my collection, you know, just because it was fun. Um, eventually, um, I ended up getting a master's degree in journalism because I like writing so much. I decided to just go all into it. So Puck Junk is mainly about hockey and hockey collecting, but it's also about hockey culture. I've also had interviews with hockey players on there and former hockey players. And then um, I also launched a podcast in 2015 where we talk about hockey and hockey collecting. So that's basically what you can expect to find at PuckJunk.com. I also do sell original T-shirts that I designed myself that look like old school Topps hockey wrappers. I see that. That's pretty cool. What what's the what, what what's your favorite shirt? Um, I think my favorite shirt is the one of the helmetless players skating. I call that nineteen okay. seventies skater. But nice. the most popular shirt is the nineteen seventies goalie. Um, I'm almost out of my original print run of those, so I'm gonna have to go back and get more of them printed up. So uh the nineteen seventies goalie design is the most popular design on my site. Pretty busy offseason in the game, right? I mean, it was, we've seen a lot of moves come down, huge contracts and major trades. Uh, the draft was pretty entertaining as well. What, what do you make of the offseason here? Uh, you know, everything surprises me and nothing surprises me. Um, I'm a Blackhawk fan. Well, I don't really want to be one anymore because they're kind of a horrible team on the ice and off the ice. And I'm not going to get into the whole Kyle Beach thing, but that's what I'm implying there. But um 
you know, they traded away, traded away all their best players. And so, you know, they're trying to tank to get the first overall pick. So I'm going to probably have to pick another team to just watch and cheer for this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an interesting off season. Um, almost too much to keep track of, you know? No doubt. Niagara Falls, what'd you think of it? I think that was your first time, right? I, yeah, I'd never, I'd never been in New York state before. Um, I was uh, lucky enough to have some time to go on the Made of the Mist uh, boat tour where they take you right up to the waterfall and you're surrounded on three sides by the waterfalls and it is it is overwhelming. And I got to tell you, man, sports collecting is fun, but when you go out and you're in nature and you're just like, you're like in the middle of a waterfall, it's just, it's overwhelming, it's crazy, and there are like cooler things in life than collecting sometimes, just being out in nature and just seeing stuff like that that you just wouldn't see on a normal day is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I just have a couple more for you here, Sal. Sure. Sal Barry, our guest from Puck Junk and uh, the host of the Puck Junk podcast. Make sure you go download, subscribe, rate and review that, and follow him on Twitter as well, at Puck Junk. Um, when you go to a show, wherever the card show might be, do you have different expectations as you go from one town to the next? Is it the same goal in mind? Do you have to go out and get more cards based on what you sell? Like, what's the strategy as you're doing these shows? Strategy as a collector or strategy as somebody who sells it? Probably shows? both, right? Because you're a collector and a seller. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of relatively new to selling. I will say that back in the 90s when I was a teenager, I used to actually organize and promote a card show at my local church now this was the 90s so you know promotion wasn't like taking out like you know big ads and newspapers and stuff like that mm-hmm. but uh i used to sell then and i think i was a little more of a hobbyist and now it's it's a lot more difficult because cards are more expensive you can't just like open cards and you could sell what you don't want but you obviously have to have stuff that people want to buy as well and um so when i go to a card show i think what as when i go to collect i think the one thing i keep in mind i keep in mind a couple of things one is have a list of what you're looking for you know like kind of say like i want to add some 60s hockey to my sets right so i always have my want lists on my phone so i know what i what i uh i'm looking for but then also i try to buy something that i can't find somewhere else so if i'm at a bigger show like the national and i find something really unique I buy it because I might not see that thing again. And also that's what makes collecting fun when you find something that you didn't know existed or something you never saw before. And if you could afford it, that's what makes collecting fun. Those things that you didn't know existed, those surprises, those are like nice surprises. So that's part of it is just, you know, being open to finding, you know, buying things that you couldn't find somewhere else or weren't expecting to find. And then also just being open to things like, if I'm trying to complete my 63-64 Parkhurst set, but somebody has a bunch of 61-62 Parkhursts and they're, like, priced well, well, then I'm going to buy them, you know, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be like, well, too bad this isn't the set I'm collecting, you know what I mean? You kind of got to be open sometimes to what you find. Like, one year in Chicago, this guy had a stack of 51-52 Parkhurst hockeys, oh, uh, hockey cards, which is considered the first modern hockey card set. I wish I bought everything he had. I bought what I could afford. I bought a Ted Lindsay rookie. I bought a bunch of the commons because they were cheap. And I basically started putting together the basis of a set that I'll probably never complete. 
because it's got the Gordie Howe rookie card, because it's got the Maurice Richard rookie card, and it's going to be very expensive to finish. So as a, a buyer, just or as, as a collector, being open to that. As a buyer, it's less fun because you can't always find things that you can turn around and sell. And I know at the National, there were people coming up to my table and they wanted to buy cards from me and they had the intention of turning around and selling them. So they weren't happy with my prices because my prices were maybe good for a collector, but didn't necessarily have enough markup for a uh, for somebody to resell. And, you know, that's not really my problem, I guess. But um, I think also just the same thing, being open to things and, and kind of figuring out, like, what people like. You know, I mean, I went to one show. I picked up a Kale McCarr low-end rookie card for 10 bucks. Turned around, sold it at the National for 30 bucks. I, I knew I was going to sell that card. You know what I mean? He was popular. He just won the, um, you know, the MVP trophy for the for the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, that's kind of like an example. But um, it's definitely harder if you're selling. Um, and uh, it's a lot of work, not just finding the stuff to sell, but researching what a fair price is, pricing things getting to the show early, setting up, tearing down, all of that stuff. It's a lot of work. It's not for the faint of heart. And it, it does take away from the fun a little bit because then it kind of turns your hobby into work. And sometimes that can make it less fun. So I just always try to have fun, you know, and always try not to like take myself too seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good way to go about it. My final question for you is this, um, you know, you had mentioned being, you know, a professor, um, and, and, and the teaching side of, of your life, what is the message that you're giving students? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned I'm a professor as I just was thinking about how long winded my last answer was. I'm like, Ugh, that was more of a lecture than an answer. So what advice do I give my students? Yes. Uh, well, I, t- I tend to teach a lot of like, uh, web design and graphic design and interactive design. And I, I think the one takeaway I always tell students in every class is that it's not about following the steps. Anybody can follow step one, step two, step three. That's how we got out of high school, right? We followed the steps that were laid out in front of us. They tell us to do these things. We do these things. We move on. It's really about figuring out what to do when the steps don't go to plan. That's what I tell my students. That's the biggest takeaway. I tell them that at the beginning of the quarter, I say, you know what? Something's not going to go right for you, whether it's having trouble uploading your work or having trouble coding a web page or having trouble with this um, app development kit that we're using or whatever. It's not about following the steps. It's about figuring out what to do when the steps don't go according to plan. So that's probably the biggest takeaway I teach them. I like it. Sal Barry at Puck Junk on Twitter. Go give him a follow. He's the editor of PuckJunk.com. He hosts the Puck Junk uh, podcast as well. Make sure you go download Subscribe, rate, and review that one where pods are found. He contributes to the hockey news, a sports card expert, a professor. You name it, puckjunk.com again for all of his work. Sal Barry, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for the chat, and uh, it was great meeting you in the falls, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll meet again soon, my man. Thank you. Take care. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.